Welcome to Crop Sense, presented by North Carolina Cooperative Extension. I'm Jacob Morgan, a field crops agent with North Carolina Cooperative Extension. Today we have Dr. Dominic Rizek and Dr. Anders Huseth, field crops entomology specialists with North Carolina State University. Good morning, Dr. Rizek. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Jacob. Yeah, I've been on your podcast before and I noticed, unlike your other guests, I did not give you a very, a very good explanation of who I am and where I'm from. Uh, I was raised in Southern California in the desert a long way from here and uh, just kind of loved, loved bugs my whole life and decided to check out ag and got my feet wet, did a master's degree working in cotton in California, a PhD working in Timothy Hay of all things, working on a thrips pest there and then got the job here. I've been here for 12 years in field crop entomology, located two hours east of Raleigh and uh, specializing a lot on uh, applied problems in those field crops. All right, Dr. Huseth, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for the invite, Jacob. Uh, my name is Anders Huseth. I'm a, a insect ecologist and applied entomologist by training. I uh, grew up in South Central Wisconsin in dairy country, uh, where I got a lot of experience working on vegetable pests. I did my PhD on um, Colorado potato beetle in Irish potatoes. I moved on to Cornell and did a postdoc on beans and European corn borer. And then more recently got the position here in the department of entomology and plant pathology focused on research and extension for field crops. And I've been here about three years now and, and have been working closely with Dominic and several of the other cotton specialists and field crop specialists on, on various insect related issues. We appreciate both of you being here today. And so today we are going to discuss plant bugs and cotton. Today is July 1st, 2021. So just a little bit of context there. So I guess a good place to start is the life cycle of plant bugs and maybe their ecology. Yeah, so I'll take that first topic. So plant bugs are a really interesting species. So they, they are part of the true bugs as far as insects go. And they're distributed throughout the U.S. and much of Canada. And they, these insects are highly polyphagous, and that's just a fancy term for having lots of different host plants. So plant bugs have been found on over 300 different host plants and have been reported to be a pest or at least occupy or feed on uh, about half the cultivated crops grown in the U.S. So it's a remarkably diverse pest in its ability to colonize and reproduce on a whole host of different crop plants. Here in North Carolina, we're really concerned with tarnished plant bugs uh, from the perspective of their ability to infest and damage cotton in particular. However, we do find them in a variety of other row crops, including corn, somewhat in soybeans, and certainly in small grains. So there are several different natural enemies of these insects, parasitoids, et cetera, that can um, control these pests, but their reproductive potential is one of the factors that really sets them up to be a significant pest on a variety of crops. So these insects have a very rapid developmental stage. So it takes about 14 days at 68 degrees for an egg to hatch, uh, whereas at 86 degrees, that period is only six days. Females are highly fecund, which means they have a high re reproductive potential and can lay uh, as many as 300 eggs over their lifespan, which can be between 20 and 40 days, uh, depending on conditions. The insects cycle through five immature instars, and that period takes about 15 days at 
90 degrees Fahrenheit. And so all of this really sets these insects up for having a high reproductive potential and being able to really explode in certain crop situations. It takes females about seven to 10 days to develop and become reproductively active after uh, moving through their nymphal instars. And so there's a period in which these insects will be present as adults in the crop, but won't be actively reproducing. And so that's one thing that will factor into some of our insecticide decisions later with things like insect growth regulators that are now on the market. The longevity of the insect as an adult is 30 to 60 days. And so that period uh, sets them up to impart considerable damage on the crop. So are they here all year round or they just come here for summer vacation? When do they here or when they're not here? Right. So these insects are overwinter here as adults and they typically will overwinter in things like crop residue or in the non-crop areas surrounding fields. And they have a really tight association to several different types of non-crop weeds. And that's really where that first or second generation of these insects develops in the springtime. They'll become active around 50 degrees Fahrenheit when they start colonizing and reproducing on things like daisy fleabane, sage, a variety of different non-crop weeds. That generation turns over, you get a an increase in the numbers in the second generation that we sort of start seeing spill over into places like small grains and other sensitive host crops. And so by best estimation, the reports for North Carolina is we get about five generations per year, but it's a little bit tricky to really figure that out because these generations typically are rolling and there's a lot of reproduction over overlapping uh, generations. And so we, we see this blend of uh, activity, which is much different than we see with other pests like corn earworm that have fairly discrete periods of uh, reproduction, flight, dispersal, and then larval stages. And we did some sampling a few years ago trying to figure out when they were first active in the winter or spring. And uh, we were sampling some cutovers. And like Andrew said, we were able to find them in weeds and they seem to be active in February, which you know, matches the, the 50 degrees active thing. They're active pretty early in the system. So what kind of damage do they cause in cotton? It seems like that's really the, the main crop that we're concerned about them in. So what kind of damage do they cause? And is there any specific patterns you may find them in the field? Well, one thing I'll mention before we talk about cotton that Anders has touched on is the fact that they, they feed on a lot of different things. And that's important for a number of reasons. Anders is the real ecologist here, but I do know that the ecologists tell us that when an insect feeds on a lot of different things, it develops an ability to overcome lots of plant defenses, and it develops an ability to overcome insecticides pretty easily because it's got to detoxify all those things and all those different crops. So it makes it a real tough critter to deal with. Cotton produces a lot of kind of natural pesticides, but it just doesn't seem to harm the tarnished plant bug too much. That being said, cotton is more of a, a sink than a source. And what do I mean by that? Well, we can look at other crops. We can look at things like corn. The corn is both a sink and a source for tarnished plant bugs. So it's a sink and the tarnished plant bugs will move into corn and a source and that they reproduce pretty well in, in corn and then can disperse in other crops. Soybeans are the same way. Uh, clary sage, you know, you can pick a number of different crops. Cotton is not that way. It's more of a sink. You'll have plant bugs move in there they will do some reproducing, but not a whole lot. Cotton's not contributing a lot to the overall 
population of tarnished plant bug in, in the landscape. Uh, that being said, they can still cause really significant damage to cotton. And the reason for that is because the cotton is actually a perennial plant that we grow as an annual. And if you're a perennial plant and an insect feeds on you, you can just shed that reproductive tissue and try again next year, right? There's no problem with that. You're, you're a cotton tree somewhere in, in the, the tropics. You're going to just shed that reproductive tissue and, and move on to next year. It's not a good strategy if you're an annual plant. Like you got to reproduce in that year. You got to have babies. You got to be done. And so what the cotton plant essentially does is when the, when the tarnished plant bug goes in there and it feeds on that reproductive tissue, something like a square, that's a pre-floral bud, it'll produce ethylene and actually trigger abscission of that square. And that's a problem because we need that square to produce the flower, to produce the bowls. In addition, they can feed on flowers as they're developing. Doesn't seem to cause too much issues to the flowers, can mess up pollination sometimes if they feed heavily. They can also feed directly on bowls, much like stink bugs, where they can cause punctures or warts that introduce pathogens, or they can cause direct loss to the lint. We don't understand how much that feeding causes to direct yield loss, but they, they can feed on bowls as well. So are the adults doing the feeding or are immatures doing the damage or both? Yeah, so typically in the early season, uh, pre-bloom, we're thinking about adults being the primary target for a lot of management decisions. Um, so adults will immigrate into the field, into the cotton field from surrounding crops, be it small grains is one of the places we think really increases populations, weedy habitats, et cetera. And they'll be feeding on those pre-floral uh, reproductive structures because these insects really like feeding on that growing meristem of the plant uh, in a variety of different crops, today cotton. We're thinking about these adults really targeting those structures pre-floral. And then as we transition to the bloom stage, we're thinking about injury that's associated with not only adults, but also the reproduction of nymphs, because we have that period of time for the eggs to mature, hatch, and then the nymphs to be active in the crop. And so we kind of think about it in two different phases. So how do we go about looking for these things and determining economic threshold at which we need to, to spend the money to go in there on an insecticide and then application cost to make sure we're not spending $20 to stop $10 worth of damage. So the traditional sampling strategy uh, using a sweep net is, is really our first line of defense early season after squaring is initiated, um, sweeping the crop, uh, sweeping the plant canopy, uh, gets to that, a good assessment of the adult numbers. What the sweep net doesn't do very well is uh, assess post-bloom densities of this insect. And so we really suggest that folks think about rotating between a, from a sweep net to a drop cloth uh, to try to capture a really good estimate of the abundance of not only the adults per row foot of cotton, but also the uh, nymphs that are present throughout that canopy, which sometimes could be a challenge to trap with a sweep net. And so our thresholds in North Carolina are eight tarnished plant bugs per hundred swooshes of the sweep net pre-bloom, and then two to three adults or nymphs on a drop cloth on average post-bloom. And when we think about this, this is really an average of several different sampling points in the field. And so that's one thing to remember with plant bugs that can be a challenge is that these insects are known to be 
um, sort of aggregated in their distribution in fields. They're not as uniform as maybe a bullworm would be. So because they're clumped, we really want folks to be looking at several different spots in the field and generating an average density of those insects to make a, a threshold-based decision about using an insecticide. So that's really important as far as field level coverage to make sure you don't either um, underestimate or overestimate densities given the dispersal ability of these pests and you know where they tend to be clumped in the field. Yeah, Andrews is absolutely right on, on the sampling methods and what should be used. The other thing we need to do is to monitor square retention pre-bloom. And the reason for that is sometimes you can have populations that exceed that eight and 100 sweeps and your square retention is great. And so we don't necessarily want to trigger a spray based on numbers alone. That being said, if you have high numbers in your field, you probably want to be checking square retention, you know, a couple of times a week. So it's, it's really for, for folks that uh, are serious about growing cotton and want to manage it intensively. And when you have plant bugs in the system, you need to be timely. Our square retention uh, threshold is 80%. We like to use that in tandem with the, the eight and hundred sweeps pre-bloom. Pre-bloom cotton should not shed squares naturally unless there's a, a big problem. Like say we were real cloudy or get some super crazy drought or something like that. I mean, it, it wants to hold on to those squares and, and reproduce. Uh, once we get into bloom and start putting on a bowl load, those squares are going to start to shed naturally um, as the cotton starts to put more of its resources into those bowls. And so at that point, we're going to rely exclusively on the drop clot threshold, as Anders mentioned, and worry less about square retention. I like to look in the first three nodes in the top to look at square retention. And essentially what you're looking for is a, a scar for where that square used to be. Uh, sometimes you'll see the the square will be brown and still on there. We call that like a blasted square. And then sometimes you can see where the bract is flared over in the square. And that's a result of plant bug injury. And actually in the Mid-South, they have a threshold that's based on uh, dirty squares. It's actually where they're looking at the yellow poop that the plant bug leaves on the squares. And believe it or not, that's a pretty good indication of when to spray. We have not evaluated that threshold here. We've done tests that say that the thresholds that we're using now are, are good and effective and will help preserve yield. So we've done those experiments. Okay, so we're out there looking at our crop. We realize we have a problem. We're over threshold. Let's talk about control of plant bugs in the field. Well, I mean, once that threshold is triggered, we recommend growers use a, a foliar insecticide. I mean, there are things you can do pre-planting to prevent plant bugs, right? I mean, try and block cotton away from corn and Andrus has done some work looking at field sizes and things like that. But once the cotton's in the ground, we're essentially relying on foliar insecticides for management. We really encourage folks to rotate insecticides for plant bugs. We know this having learned lessons from the Mid-South where they've been dealing plant bugs for a long time and they've run into resistance down there. And we've done the same thing here in North Carolina. Unfortunately, we've overused pyrethroids we now have pyrethroid resistant plant bugs. And I should mention that bifenthrin is a type of pyrethroid as well. Sometimes folks get that confused. So we really have to rotate uh, between our insecticides and uh, rely on foliar management at, at this point to, to take care of them. So if we're not using pyrethroids, what's the, op the other option as far as some families of insecticides or radif ingredients? Yeah, I don't want to tell folks not to use pyrethroids, but they definitely need to be thinking about tank mixes when they're using them, right? And so that, that's important when we're rotating that we're not just 
thinking about individual products alone, but that we're going out with some products together. I mean, it's more of like a weed science management at this point. That being said, you know, especially for folks in the Northeast, they may have to spray six to eight times in a bad season. I mean, fortunately things haven't been too bad yet, but if you're spraying six to eight times, you really need to get creative with what you're using. So we recommend a neonicotinoid in June. Centric works better than Admire Pro. Admire Pro by itself is not a great plant bug material. It can't be, it can be used as a tank mix. This time in the season in July, and especially prior to bollworm flights, Transform is an excellent choice. Um, the reason for that is it's fairly soft on beneficials, and Anders may want to speak to, to some of that after I'm done here. We want to preserve those beneficials because they can be pretty effective at preventing bollworms and stink bugs and other plant bugs in the field. If nymphs are present, and especially this time of year when, as Anders mentioned, those adults come into the field and they start reproducing, Diamond is an excellent uh, tank mix partner. Uh, this is a good insecticide because it's an insect growth regulator. It seems to have some activity on uh, the viability of eggs that females lay. And because of that, we tend to see extended activity of this chemical over time. So when we spray it, we may not see that initial knockdown. That's why we pair it with a, a product that can knock them down. But we tend to see its activity work really well on those nymphs over time. As we move into bloom and especially, you know, post some of these big bollworm flights, we can rely more on some of our heavier hitters, you know, things like Biodrin, Vitate, uh, the pyrethroid and orthene mixes, the orthene diamonds sort of things. But it's still important to get those neonicotinoids back in the mix. We may, may want to mix in some orthene and a neonicotinoid, for example, just to get some, some variety out there. Uh, for folks like in the Piedmont and maybe in the, the central coastal plain or western coastal plain that may only have to spray one time, just I would tell them to avoid the heavy hitters early on and see if they can get some of those tank mixes out there. I know the initial cost may seem expensive, but if we don't spend a little money now, we're going to have to spend more money later when we get into more resistant situations. Just like to follow up with Dominic on that geographic distribution. So we've been really interested in asking the question of where are plant bugs in the state of North Carolina? You know, these are insects that weren't traditionally uh, very common cotton pests. I mean, they're around, but they weren't as economically important as what we're seeing now. And so we've been doing some surveying throughout the state. And I think it's really revealed that plant bug distributions have shifted from the northeastern corner of the state to, you know, the south central part of the coastal plain and even the southern coastal plain. And so we're increasingly concerned with folks maybe missing plant bug infestations and, and get some pretty severe losses. And so I think this is a good lesson for people right now to start thinking about, well, maybe I need to be more intensively looking for plant bugs in some of these less traditional plant bug hotspots. And, you know, as things continue to change in the future, production systems change, we might see this insect become increasingly more important in some of these other cotton producing areas, in the, particularly in the central and southern part of our, our traditional cotton belt here in, in the eastern coastal plain. And I think that that's a really good message to be mindful of as we move into some of our heavier pressure periods of the season in 2021. That's so true. You know, we don't want to spray blindly, but we have to make sure we're scouting for plant bugs, even if we haven't had them in the past. I mean, I have these memories just burned in me of visiting a field in mid to late August, all the fruit completely stripped from plant bugs and the grower wants to know what they can do. And the answer is nothing. I mean, we're past the last effective bloom date. Plant bugs took it all. There's nothing you can do. And we just, we can't be having those situations. We, we can do something about it. 
Dr. Husseth, can you talk a little bit about limiting impacts on non-target insects and natural enemy uh, disruptions uh, when we're talking about spraying for plant bugs? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one thing that really is lovely from an entomologist's perspective to work on cotton is that there are plenty of pest problems. It's not great for growers, but it's a really um, sophisticated puzzle to figure out how best can we manage all these different pests from thrips to plant bugs to bullworms. There's a lot of interactions and, and potential antagonisms based on the way in which we make our insecticide decisions. And I think plant bugs are a really good example of that. Early season disruption of plant bug or beneficial insect populations when we're chasing plant bugs can have big impacts on the beneficial insects that we need to feed on eggs and bullworms later in the season. And this has really become apparent with the increasing levels of resistance to BT toxins and bullworms. We really need to be conserving our natural enemies so that they can do as much consumption of eggs and larvae of bullworms as possible to really try to reduce the pressure on these BT toxins that we're depending on for bullworm control. So this is the real nexus of what we think about as integrated pest management. And in cotton, it just happens to be really complex in the sense that, you know, if we spray a really aggressive insecticide, like an acephate, maybe early season, that's going to knock out ladybugs, parasitoids, other things like that, that are really necessary for managing bullworms. And so, you know, to really get after this problem, we've been doing a, co a collaborative project with entomologists throughout the Southeast to try to ask the question of um, which materials make the most sense, particularly pre-bloom or really close to bloom as far as conserving natural enemies. And so these are results that I think we're going to have in, in the winter meetings this year is just a little bit more context of which chemistries are softer on beneficial insects in North Carolina and, and in other production systems throughout the Southeast. And I think that's gonna be good information for how we position these materials. We do know that transform is a really good decision pre-bloom because it tends to have a softer profile on beneficial insects. And so that can be a big benefit. That's one rationale for sort of organizing our um, insecticide decisions very deliberately, starting with neonics and then going to a material like transform and then moving into some of these more broad spectrum materials that may also have activity on stink bugs, the other really key true bug past of cotton. All right. Trivia question. Did either of you know why it's called a square when it looks like a triangle? <laughs> nope. That makes three of us, I guess. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Is there anything else you think the listeners need to know about plant bugs, looking for plant bugs, plant bug management before we wrap this podcast up? Uh, I, I, will, I will say one last thing. I think that for growers to be truly serious about plant bug management, they need to hire a scouter or consultant because it is intensive and they just cannot spend the time that's needed to do it. Anders mentioned the fact that they're not uniformly distributed throughout the field. You're going to have to do a really good job scouting that field. You can't just walk in the field and take one sample and know what's going on there. You're going to have to take multiple samples. In the heavy pressure areas, it's going to require multiple scouting trips throughout the week. You have to know about insecticide choice. You have to know, you know, what weeds are drying down in the system or when corn dries down, what's going to happen. You know, this is uh, something that would be very difficult to think about, especially as acreages are getting larger and larger. You know, farm sizes are 
are getting bigger. And so I, I think to do a really good job, they just need to hire a professional. And I realized that this costs money, but it's money well spent because it's, it's going to preserve yield. So what I'm hearing you say is the best farmers have people outstanding in their fields. Absolutely. I'd like to follow on that. Like uh, just that the fact that, you know, these insects are really sporadic and they can respond to these, you know, what the crop composition is adjacent to a specific field. That's another spatial scale that's really important to consider because not only what Dominic touched on, which is within field variation, field to field variation can be high as well. And so, you know, making sure that you diligently scout the majority of your acres and not take one field as representative for all fields is going to be pretty important as well. Well, thank you, Dr. Isaac and Dr. Youssef, for your time today. We really appreciate you stopping by and talking to us about this topic. Been a pleasure. Thank you. If you have any questions regarding plant bugs in your cotton, please call your local cooperative extension agent and they'll be happy to answer any questions you have. And I will put in links to scouting information, thresholds in the podcast notes, so that will be easy to find. If you have ideas for topics or questions, you can email me at jacob underscore morgan at ncsu.edu and I'll be happy to try and get those answers for you. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And as always, thank you for listening to Crop Sense. Because if it isn't making money, it isn't making sense. Mm-hmm.